1: Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Panarin back to Jones. 19 seconds left of the power play. Jones holds. Gives the Panarin. Looks at it. Comes back to Seth Jones. On the right side. Atkinson walks in. Slap shot hits traffic. Comes right down in front. Another save. Then there's a score!
0: Name, it's Matt Duchesne. He buries a power play
2: goal, and the Blue Jackets lead two to nothing. That's the difference right now. Duchesne made it two nothing in the second period. Debrus scored late in the second. They're now into the third. Blue Jackets leading the Bruins two one. The series is tied one one. Sharks and Avalanche. That series tied 1-1. It'll start at 8 o'clock tonight. Thanks a lot for tuning in, 706. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630Ched. Hey, don't forget, some guests on the show get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. They have their brunch Sundays, 11 a.m. until 2 p.m., featuring biscuits and gravy with smashed potatoes. You can visit NorthChickenYEG.com. Excellent spot, 124th Street, 107th Avenue. Kellen Kennedy is our studio operator this evening. The producer of the show is... Is Dave Campbell uh, This texture says the Simpsons episode with Uncle Herb one of the greatest episodes in TV history. Yes un- Uncle Herb. That was the name of the Danny DeVito character Kellen, is that ringing a bell? Yes <laughs> Yes it is. All of the bells There we go <laughs> uh, Ring-a-ling-a-ling. The Simpsons in its prime maybe the best show ever. Yep well, any- Seasons probably what? Three through
1: eight maybe? Yeah, that's what, 92 through 96, 97? Yeah, around the,
2: yeah probably 91 to 97, maybe, sure. 98. I mean, you had the monorail. Mm. You had Homer going to university. You had Homer as the union boss. Dan plan. Lisa needs new braces. Dan plan. Lisa needs new braces. Still one of my favorite of all yep. time.
1: Yeah, Val well, Homer also uh, falling into Springfield Gorge, trying to be cool, Dad Homer. <laughs> the,
2: the daredevil one, yep. Homer going into space, mm-hmm. and we owe it all to this inanimate rod. In rod, in return, rod, trust. trust. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we we have some of our audience probably laughing with us, and some of us, uh, some of them disgusted with our Simpsons nerdiness. But hey. Great show! It is a great show. Great show. And if you're going to be uh, a nerd, you might as well be a nerd about the Simpsons. And I'll even say
1: this: that the early 2000s uh, Simpsons episodes, anything from 2001 to 2003,
2: I think is vastly underrated. I think they're really good. They had some uh, years where they bounced back, and it's still on. But I, I and I was the most loyal. I'll tell a quick story here about the Simpsons. Well, I don't know if this has turned into a quick bitty thing about we we've been we've been getting off topic a lot. That's okay. I have about two dozen VHS tapes full of Simpsons episodes because I used to tape it every week and save it. Right. And I still have these tapes, and I don't think I have anything to watch them on. So I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Uh, Brian says, oh, my God, did you watch Golden Girls 2? Yes, actually, I did. <laughs> I, I wouldn't compare The Simpsons to The Golden Girls, though, in the tone of the humor necessarily. Bea Arthur was awesome. <laughs> No, I'm not getting into you and older ladies tonight. I'm not, I'm not getting <laughs> That's a into Friday that. night thing. Yes, <laughs> no, I'm, not getting, I'm not getting into that. We'll discuss more on Friday. Yes, we'll, we'll save that. We'll save that for Friday. Uh, Camp Krusty. The flaming mo. Oh wow, we're getting we're getting uh, some great Simpsons memories for sure. We'll we'll get that that to that. I want to get back to the sports for now. Uh, Colton Pareko from St. Albert, big part of the St. Louis Blues' success. We had him on the show last week. Bernie Federico used to play for the team. Now he covers them for Fox Sports Midwest. Bernie, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing, Reed, I'm doing great, thank you. It's great to have you on the show again. And, uh, man, the St. Louis Blues continue to be quite a story. And, man, Patrick Maroon, the former oiler, with a huge goal last night. Uh, you know, I saw it last night, and I was, I was watching the replay again this afternoon because I had to make sure I, I kind of believed my eyes. It looked like there was a delayed celebration there. Nobody could believe that uh, he was able to get that one in from that angle. Well, I think he was
0: more surprised than anybody else, Reed. because, I mean, I think when he got the puck behind the net, uh, you know, I think it was Lindell that was supposed to be in front of the net had fallen down and was on the other far post, and I think he was going to turn and try to pass it back to the point, but as it turned out, he realized there was no one there, so we walked out front. He took the shot and he didn't know it went in. I mean, I think there was probably a three or four second delay before he realized that the puck was in. So uh, a good time to score a goal, especially at the Stars, just come back and tied the game. So it was a heck of a game last night.
2: It was uh, a bit of an interesting season for Maroon and obviously with as a former Oiler, pr- pretty popular because of his personality. And when you score 27 goals on a line with McDavid and Dreisaitl, that helps your popularity as well. But man, yeah. it, was, it was a rough ride for him through the first half of the season, uh, at least when I would see the Blues play and obviously tracking his stats. Uh, Individually for Maroon, how would you sort of encapsulate his season?
0: Yeah, it was a tough season for for Pat. I mean, I think uh, there was a lot of pressure, obviously. He wanted to come home, wanted to play in St. Louis. And, and it, so I think a lot of times it's very, very difficult to play in your hometown. But uh, uh, the start did not go well, and it wasn't just Pat. I think when you look at the Blues' uh, start of the season, uh, I think there was only one person that actually played well and played consistently well, and that was Ryan O'Reilly, and he played the entire year that way. But it wasn't really until January 1st where everybody all of a sudden started coming together. I think the... Uh, uh, Jordan Binnington getting a chance to, to be the goaltender for the Blues, I think he gave them a little bit of stability. But uh, I think Pat was one of those guys, too, that just nothing happened, didn't score a goal in the first 15 games, then got one, was a healthy scratch uh, a couple of times. And uh, for whatever reason, and we still can't put our finger on what exactly happened, Reed, but uh, it, it seems that whatever it was, They didn't have it, and they found it. And and it's really one of the things where everybody started playing for each other. I think Craig Berube did a wonderful job, uh, uh, you know, talking to guys' communication skills and the fact that uh, he's a long-time uh, player in the, in the NHL as well, I think helped a lot uh, with the communications. And they just started playing for him and they play, started playing for each other. And uh, Pat was one of those guys that got on a line with Bozak and with uh, Robert, young Robert Thomas. And uh, Pat started using his body a little more, getting the cycle going. And all of a sudden that line came together. And really, it was all four lines that came together for the Blues and Ones. The defense started playing well. And then they went on that run. And the rest is kind of history as they uh, really came within one point of even uh, getting first place in the Central. So good first round. And now uh, it's going to be a tough series still yet. Dallas, but to be up two to one right now is uh, I think that they couldn't be more comfortable with
2: that. I'm glad you brought up Baruby. He's a a candidate for Coach of the Year. Amazing turnaround and uh, a tie in there with the Oilers because they made the coaching changes. I think it was just a day apart back in November. The Oilers had an an initial burst under Hitchcock, but couldn't keep it going. But the Blues definitely got it going under Baruby. I I mean, sometimes like you said, it can be hard to put your finger on it why it turns around. So I'll, I'll ask you this, from maybe tying in your experience as a player, too. Were you more of a player who wanted an X as an O's coach and a tactical coach, or did you want more of a coach who was sort of concerned about the team bonding and and the well-being of the players?
0: Definitely the team bonding part of it. I mean, I know the game has changed a lot, Reed, but I think uh, even... In our day, we always liked the guy that really could motivate the players and communicate with the players, and kind of we are the guys that are doing the job. We're the guys that are on the ice. Just let us play. Just tell us what you want and let us play. And, uh, I know there's a lot more X's that go on, but I think Greg, Greg is really more of an old-fashioned coach. I think the fact. I mean, here's a guy that played over a thousand games and everybody knows the style of play that, that he played. Uh, and, and really I think there's just a matter of accountability. Every, every, he, he's told them what they want to do. He, he really it doesn't matter if it's terasinko or if it's a fourth line guy. Uh he does communicate with, with all of them and they're all on the same page and they're playing for each other and I think Craig is probably the most responsible for that. He's he's
2: given that accountability and, and boy they've played really well under him. Bernie Federico joining us on Inside Sports, talking about the series between the Blues and the Dallas Stars. So, you know, I had Colton Pareko on the show last week. Uh, Bernie, he's always great to talk to. He's, he's playing well again for St. Louis. And I asked him about the the close games against Winnipeg. I mean, they pulled a couple out in the third period, late goals. And then last night, they, they stick with it, and they get a late goal to win it. And Colton at the time said... We were in last place a week into January, so uh, I guess trailing by a goal in the third period <laughs> doesn't really phase them, but, uh, but I mean, I guess it's, is this an example of a team that's, that's taken the, the harsh experience they had earlier this season and, and turned it into a positive? Or, or how would you describe them being so good in, in so many of these dramatic games?
0: Yeah, I think resiliency is the name, is the word that that we we, we really talked about this team, is that, um, you know what, since they started playing well and and then all of a sudden everything came together, uh, they really have that belief. And I I think you can... no matter what the score is, and, and, and I think the Winnipeg series was a perfect example. It didn't matter who scored first. Uh, you know, they've won four straight games on the road now. They haven't lost on the road yet, so I think it's that frame of mind that it's a never-quit attitude. Play the same way, and I, I think if you watch the Blues, what they do is they've got four lines that keep going out there. There's nothing fancy that goes on. They grind and they grind, and they're in their face. Uh, they try to play as much of, of the game on the floor check as they can, and uh, they've done a great job with that. And, and really, I mean, uh, well, Colton has been one of the big reasons that the boys have played that well. When Jay Bowman Bum- mm-hmm. had a tough start this to year coming off hip surgery last year. Uh, really, really struggled. And uh, over the course now, of the last couple of months, both Colton and, and, and uh, uh, Bow have become really the shutdown. Uh, defensive pairing now, and they've done a just great job. I mean, Colton couldn't be the nicest. Probably the, the nicest kid that I've ever met. I mean, he's just that kind of person. And uh, but on the ice, he's just done a great job. He's got that great size. If he makes a mistake, he's so big and such a good skater that he gets back and is able to to really defend very very well. But uh, uh, it, it's been really a fun fun ride. And, and this team again, they I think right now uh, they can taste that. That, that victory all the time. They, they know that if they grind long enough, they're going to get their opportunities, And especially when you see teams like Tampa out down Pittsburgh, all these teams, the favorite so-called county that uh, got beat, all of a sudden the
2: Blues really find themselves and I think there's a little extra incentive that say, hey, maybe this is the year. Bernie Federico joining us on Inside Sports. Okay, Bernie, speaking of dramatic victories... I want to take you back to a, a special night in your career, May 12th, 1986. I'll quickly set this up for for the younger folks in the audience. <laughs> this was the uh, sixth game of the Campbell Conference Final, what, what we would now call the Western Conference Final. And you were playing for the St. Louis Blues, and you guys trailed 5-2 with about, uh, I think, with about 12 minutes left in the third. And you won 6-5 in overtime, and I think... I think you assisted on the game-winning goal, and I remember watching that game as a kid, and I think the the Blues fans stayed in the arena for about two hours afterwards. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't two hours, but yeah. they, they stayed. Uh, I mean, that that's, that's one of the, the classics of all time, and, and you got to live it. Well, Reed, you know what? It was probably two hours that they stayed there. I mean, they, they, I'd never heard
0: uh, electricity or, or heard noise like that in the building ever. And, yeah, it was one of those things that, again, uh, it was really funny. I think we were down by three goals, think it was four to one after the second period. And really the, the motivational speech from Jacques Demers at the time was, hey, guys, it's been a great year. Um, I, I can't be more proud of you, but you know what? We got one one period left. To, if that's the end of the year, it is. But so be it. But let's let's just give it all we got this period. You never know what can happens. And yeah, and then all of a sudden, uh, I think it was. Uh, 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 Greg Wieslowski scored a goal to make it, uh, I think, 4-2, to and then they made it 5-2, Calgary. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, we got another one, I think, well, Doug Gilmore scored a goal, and then Brian Sutter got there. He had been hurt for most of the playoffs. He got the first goal of the, of the playoff year. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, in the last minute of play, um, it was crazy. Uh, Mike Vernon made a huge mistake behind the net. And Greg Wieslowski just kind of lifted Jimmy McCowan's stick and just shoved it into the open net. And all of a sudden, we went to overtime and won it. Doug Wickenheimer. Uh, scored the game-winning goal and uh, it's, it's, it's now known as the Monday Night Miracle uh, in St. Louis and, and I think that uh, the more people I talked to, uh, Reed, it seemed there must have been 150,000 people at the game because everybody seems to say that they were there that night but uh, it was a, a fabulous moment in history and the only thing bad about it that night is that we two nights later we, we went into Calgary we lost 2-1 so we, we weren't able to advance to the Stanley Cup final but uh, that game will be uh, always remembered by any of those people
2: in St. Louis. I mean, they, people, they still talk which is kind of a fantastic thing. Yeah, that was a classic one for sure. Well, the Blues are quite a story this year, Bernie. We'll see if they can keep it going now up 2-1 on the Dallas Stars. It is always a pleasure to have you on the show here on 630 Chet in Edmonton. Thank you so much for your time. Great, always a pleasure. That is Bernie Federko, former St. Louis Blue, now a broadcaster for the team. Very high praise for Colton Pareko, the Edmonton-area kid, a stalwart on the Blues' blue line. And I remember watching that game in 1986. The Blues, a furious comeback in the second half of the third period to tie Calgary in game six of the Campbell Conference final and then win it in overtime. As he mentioned, the Flames would win game seven on home ice and then lose in five games to the upstart. Well, actually, both Calgary and... Montreal kind of uh, upstart teams in a 21-team league. I think one was 7th and one was 8th overall, and maybe 6th and 7th. Do you know who Montreal's goaltender was in the playoffs? It was the very first time we saw a young man by the name of Patrick O'Wah. Rookie goaltender, Conn Smythe winner that year for the Montreal Canadiens.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: It 7:20. It is 2-1 Columbus leading Boston with 13 minutes left inside sports on 630 chat. <laughs>
1: You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 6 30
2: Ten and a half minutes to go in the third. It is Columbus leading Boston 2 1. Jay Bueller texting in. Reed, take those VHS tapes of The Simpsons you have, get them transferred to DVD, or better yet, just buy the damn DVDs. Then he has a little winky face, and then he has Mr. Plow. (laughs) That name again? Mr. Plow. James says, Reed, I have a dual DVD slash VHS video machine. I'll take those tapes off your hands, and for payment, I'll buy you lunch at Northern Chicken. Ah, It's a tempting offer. I have the same unit. Works great. I, I think I have one. I don't know if it works anymore, or if I can hook it up to my. I probably can still hook it up to my TVs. So oh, here's a side story, since we're t- telling a lot of side stories today. So uh, I have a wonderful aunt here in Edmonton. She might she might be listening to the show, and uh, her 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 husband, my uncle, uh, passed away. I think about 14 years ago. I want to say. Uh, and this this uncle of mine was a big sports fan. I remember as a kid, we we would often watch sports together and, and talk about sports. So anyway, he had a, a laser disc player. Whoa! So apparently, my aunt decided that you know she's clearing out some stuff and wanted to get rid of this laser disc penalty. So thanks to my wonderful parents, all of a sudden this laser disc player shows up in my house. And I was like, "What? Okay, c- cool. Um, however, what? Like, I have DVDs. I don't. I, I'm not watching. What makes you think I'm all of a sudden going to get into la- laser disc? Which, for people who don't oh, know what man. I'm talking about, they're basically big DVDs. Yeah, they're the size of records. And now I realize there's some audience members who probably don't know what records are. LPs. Look it up." That's how big they are, and so obviously the machine has to be that size to accommodate it. If not bigger. Well, yeah, a little bigger, obviously, and it's it's a front load. So I am, I'm saying this to a radio listening audience, my loyal 14 listeners on Inside Sports, in 2019, I recently became the owner of a Laserdisc machine. <laughs> well,
1: read enjoy
2: Getting up so, in the middle of so, Ghostbusters and flipping the disc over. Yeah, and, and they're two. They're two sided. <laughs> it's actually pretty interesting how, how it worked, and when you consider the technology of the time. Um, but of course, I can't. This does not hook up to modern TVs. I mean, it has the two little. It, it what is what is it called? The the UHF jack on the back. Right, RF or and UHF. The, right. Thanks. And then the the two little screws. You know, the two little prongs that you would screw into the back. That's how you hook it up. TVs made these days do not have those connections. So my dad and I, I, I think we... I had one TV that still had that, and, and we hooked it up, and it the machine turns on and plays, but the image was just black static with no sound. So I think it was... We might have found a TV that we, it could send the signal to, but it, it wasn't receiving, <laughs> receiving that signal. So anyway... For all your sports scores and laser disc needs, come to Inside Sports. Blake Dermott will join us when we get back. Uh, we'll have a little bit of an update on the CFL CBA negotiations, and Blake will share some memories of his days as a player rep. That's up next. Subscribe to
1: the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts,
2: or wherever you find your podcasts.
1: This is 630 Chad
2: Inside Sports. Six twenty left in the third period in Columbus. The Blue Jackets holding on to a 2-1 lead over the Bruins. The other game tonight will start in about half an hour. That is the Sharks taking on the Avalanche in Denver. That series is tied 1-1. Well, CFL training camps are slated to open on May 19th, of course, we will once again broadcast all Edmonton Eskimos games for you here on 630 Chad, Now, it's been interesting what's been going on over the last couple of days. Pretty encouraging uh, comments coming out of the last two days of uh, formal talks between the CFL and the Players Association. Sounds like they're really pushing to get things done and to reach a deal. Uh, Now, the players, and we had Ryan King, the Eskimos player, rep on the show last week saying he was, uh, you know, that a lot of players were disappointed when the league kind of put off talks a couple of weeks ago. But then it seemed encouraging today, but then uh, Justin Dunk, who writes for Three Down Nation, got his hands on this letter sent to players across the league saying that clubs in Toronto, Ottawa, Hamilton, and Calgary are not in a legal position to strike uh, as of May 18th, going into camp. Now, the players did hold basically a strike vote, vote last week, and uh, th- it was my understanding that they did it uh, ahead of time because the rules are different in every province. So they wanted to cover their, cover their butts to be ready to strike wherever they were because five years ago, they, they kind of found out after the fact that they, they weren't in a position to legally strike in Edmonton and Calgary. The rules in Alberta include that the parties have to work with a government-appointed mediator and that there has to be a 14-day cooling-off period must elapse following mediation, and then they can strike. So I think that might be the hang-up here, though I have talked to somebody involved in the negotiations who told me, no, 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 we've covered our butt in Alberta. The Stampeders and the Eskimos could strike if it came to that. Hopefully it won't. I think, obviously, that... um, I mean, there's I, I, there are the tactics that take place face-to-face at the table, and then there's all the legal mumbo-jumbo sometimes behind the scenes that, that isn't always uh, as friendly. So I think this is a little bit of posturing probably here from both sides. So we'll see where it goes, and we'll see if we get any more clarity on that story over the next day or two. Blake Dermott is our Eskimos analyst here on 630 Chad, Blake, good to talk to you, buddy. How are you
3: doing? I'm, I'm doing good, Reed. I'm uh, just listening to you... Uh... Read off all of the uh, the uh, posturing that's going on uh, amongst the league and the players. So it's, uh, it, it sounds pretty standard for labor uh, labor negotiations.
2: Yeah, and I and look, I don't want to, I, Blake. I, I, look, I, I'm I'm not a legal expert. This story broke later in the day. I, I looked up some labor union stuff. I got in t- contact with somebody I know who I trust. So I don't want to accuse either side of, of being dishonest, but with legalities, you can sometimes um, you know, twist, twist things a little bit how you want, or you can say, well, if does, doesn't, this doesn't happen, then this won't happen. So I don't know. I mean, the, the, the league has told some players that in Alberta and Ontario, they're not in a position to strike, and the Players Association thinks that they, they perfectly are. But I certainly hope... It doesn't. It doesn't come to that. I hope May nineteenth. Everybody's in camp.
3: Well, all you all you have to have is one province to say that they're not going to strike and that's going to disrupt the league. So, uh, or, or, or one province to say that they can strike and 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 uh, you know they, they can't continue on with the schedule the way it is. So, so that's what they would need for disruption. But, uh, but here's the thing. And and when I was involved, uh, and I was uh, I was never a player rep. I was an alternate rep, but I did go to a number, a couple of meetings once in Las Vegas and once in Vancouver for you know the annual meetings for player reps in the Players Association. And I I did play in enough uh, um, enough years to be involved in two of the CBAs I believe uh, negotiations. So so I remember that there, you know it was it was pretty heated but right around the time when the American teams were coming into our league, and, and there was so many concerns about a, a number of issues and mostly uh, uh, Canadian jobs and things like that. And, uh, you know, much like it is now with the international players, that, that you know, those are obviously topics that that are they're, uh, hot topics in negotiations. But one of the things that we never had the luxury of is that, you know, we were playing in a... In a two point eight million dollar salary cap era, so there, there was no money, there was nothing to go around so basically, what we were negotiating for are a lot of the things that the players enjoy now, like shortened training camps and and uh, shortened practices and you know they, the, the clubs could keep players for so many hours a day and and that 's changed and a lot of those things haven't uh, haven 't changed since, since you know twenty years ago when, when twenty five years ago when I was involved in that and and those are the issues that we uh, that were important to us because that was really the only thing we could negotiate for because there was no way we were getting any extra money at that time in the league now with with salary caps being much higher you know those those might be issues but there still isn't a league where you know you're going to go to you're going to go to uh, um, negotiate over how much of the television contracts uh, the players are you know how, what kind of a split you're going to get with owners because there's just not like there's not a ton of money to go around so I think I think the players are in a much better shape now than they were 25 years ago, and we were certainly better shaped than, than our predecessors were. But neither team wants to strike, or, or neither side. I'm sorry, I, I players don't want to strike. I mean, this is a we're not talking about guys who are, or are making millions of dollars. Uh, how can players uh, live uh, w- without being paid? And the, the clubs need the revenue of the the uh, certainly from the television contracts and and from the ticket sales. So. So I think that both sides, you know, deep down, want to get it done. But obviously, both sides are going to try to squeeze out the best deal that they can for for their for their uh, uh, respective uh, sides.
2: Yeah. Well, and like I said, the the stories that were coming out of there today were were positive in terms of making some progress in the negotiations and everybody feeling that it's urgent to try to get it done. So hopefully, some of this other stuff doesn't doesn't really develop into anything. Blake Dermott joining us on Inside Sports. When you were a player rep, Blake. I'm curious was that something you did willingly was that something uh you were volunteered for so to speak cuz no one else would do it or how did you get involved in that No
3: Edmonton was quite uh, unusual around the league because uh, a lot of a lot of guys would come to the team come to Edmonton were surprised that we actually had player votes and uh to see who the reps were and uh you know what would happen was guys would say they would put their name into the you know say look I'll put their name forward I would which I'd be willing to run as a player rep and then we would have to vote a lot of teams a lot of teams it was kind of like okay does anybody want to do this and maybe one guy or one guy would say yes but then you have to talk somebody in to be an alternate we would always have at least i would say four people that would be running for two spots and then one alternate so there was always people that were interested in being involved in the uh, players' association. I mean, you just have to look. Uh, Randy Ambrosi of course, was. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he was the secretary. Uh, you know, when, when he was playing with with us, and, and uh, Hector Pache still on the uh, CFL Alumni Association uh, board as a treasurer and, and or sorry secretary. And so there's there's still a, a massive involvement. Uh, one of the first guys to to uh, start the. Uh, um, the CFL Alumni Association, Norrie, and other ex Edmonton Eskimos. So it, the associations were always pretty, uh, pretty popular, pretty strong, and, and uh, you know we really believed in them um, in Edmonton.
2: One of the things that the players have pushed for more recently, and, and they are again in this one, Blake is, is the player safety, and I, and I know you referenced it, uh, you know a little bit, how many hours a day you could work, and and the uh, length of training camp, and, and those types of things. But I'm wondering from your days, how much discussion was there around head injuries um you know protecting injured players in games and things like that
3: um I would say zero really? i mean that just wasn't that wasn't a topic that i mean we all knew what we were getting into when we you know we got into the sport and and uh it was uh, it was a completely different world and not that it was uh I would never say that it was better because it wasn't, but uh, it was just a completely different world, and it was just not something, something that was an issue. Um, when we talked about, you know, player safety, it, was, uh, it wasn't so much about they can't hit us hard, uh, you know, and, and smash into each other. It even came, Well, it actually came down to in training camp where there was, there was a certain number of uh, days in training camp where we could only go uh, sh- uh, sh- shoulder pads and not pants. You know, it never got to a point where you didn't wear shoulder pads, but you knew that if you didn't wear pants, then chances are you weren't hitting full contact that day, so you, you weren't getting tackled. And uh, they, they, we started to limit the amount of days that they would do that. Um, so, so I guess the player safety part was an issue back then, but I mean, it was almost as if. We don't have any other things to negotiate for, so what can we come up with? And, and, uh, you know, and I, I, I honestly believe that that was that was a big part of it because there was no money and, and there was no other you know issues that were economical issues that uh, uh, that we could we could negotiate for. So it, it started to get to you know practice times and things like that.
2: Blake Dermott joining us on Inside Sports. Okay, shifting gears a little bit from the CFL CBA talks. It is uh, April thirtieth, and like I said, camps are scheduled to open on May nineteenth. When you played, you're you're now three weeks out from camp. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your training. Would you be maybe tapering a little bit now, or, or trying to make sure you're uh, you know hitting a peak to go into camp? How would you approach that?
3: God, I'd be saying I better get in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> put the chips no, away no, no, no you know by, by this time um it, it, and it changed because my uh, the way we um uh, you know we trained i mean I, i'm not kidding there so there were guys that, that were saying that you know a month before season uh, some of the old guys who still when training camp was six weeks long i think there's still players that believed that they came to training camp to get in shape but um, uh, it, it, when i first started. Um, I, by this time, I was probably lifting right up to the day at training camp. But the, by by the end of my, uh, yeah, by the end of my career, I was I was tapering down. So I was I had a you know a program that I would work, you know, starting slow to get get my body back to you know uh, work out shape, and then and then go hard for maybe about three to four months, and then the last three weeks it was pretty much just maintaining and and uh, maybe doing a little bit more cardio by that time, so that. Uh, Um, You know, I I was feeling as healthy as I could going into training camp, and and I would say that at this point now, there are probably still some guys. I mean, their their workout programs are so complex now, and their diets are so much better than what we that what we would have uh, we would have even thought of. That I'm guessing that this probably. You know, it, it is at a point now. Maybe that, maybe one more week, and then these guys are really going to start to get into the stretching. Uh, maybe more stretching and more cardio at that point.
2: Okay, you made me think of another question while you're you were going talking about that and mentioning about the lifting and all that kind of stuff. You must have at some point had teammates who were really impressive in the gym but just never could show that sort of strength on the field. I mean, and was it, were those guys frustrating? Like you had the bench press champion, but then he couldn't make a tackle or knock anybody down.
3: (laughs) Well, first of all, I I tried not to know who was really strong. So I didn't work out with anybody because I didn't want them to intimidate me on the field. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, there was always guys that were like that. There there was a fellow uh, um, who came out one year in training camp. His name is Tom McGee. And I think Tom McGee won the world's strongest man competition. He was a Canadian guy. And, uh, and he uh, he he tried out with the BC Lions. And he tried out with us, and he just couldn't even move. Uh, years and years ago, and it was even before my time, Lou Ferrigno tried out with the Toronto Argonauts. You know, and Lou Ferrigno, you know, Mr. Olympia, and, and I think he won Mr. Universe, and, of course, he was the Hulk. Because another one of those guys, he was so impressive in the gym, but, you know, he, he just couldn't play. And, uh, yeah, you, you, there, was a, there was those kind of guys every year, you know, when they used to do some tra- testing for us. They didn't do any weight testing, but they did, like, uh, a... a Um, Uh, uh, What was it? A six-minute mile, or or we did a a twelve-minute run, and that kind of stuff. You had to see how far you could go, and and it was always the joke. The guy that ran the fastest in the run was always going to be one of the first guys cut. And sure (laughs) enough, it was that way every time. So.
2: You know? Well, but you make a good point, and I—I know I always—I know I always, I know I always uh, roll my eyes at you when you say that the offensive linemen are actually the best athletes on the team. But, but I mean, <laughs> but football is—you I mean you need flexibility, right? You're always moving at the waist, your knees and your ankles are, are pivoting. So if you're just if you're if you're carrying weight and muscle, but you can't do anything with it, you're you're pretty much screwed.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, and you know you just have to go into you just have to go to like a university now and watch the way that the players lift and the way they work out and it doesn't even look like anything we used to do i mean there is so much dynamic movement and there's so much uh, you know they they're they're using they're li- doing bench with chains and, and uh bamboo uh bench uh, uh bars and and so they're using less weight but because the weight moves around and shifts on them that they have to use more core and so, so they're not putting the stresses on their bodies that, they, that we used to do. You know, we used to just get in there and pound away at squats and pound away at bench, and, you know, and, and that's what you did. But these guys, are, they're, so much more, uh, they're so much stronger in their whole body, and uh, that makes them fitter, um, which always surprises me that they, there seems to be way more injuries <laughs> than when we played. Columbus,
2: Sorry, sorry, Blake. Columbus has just beaten Boston 2-1 to go up 2-1 on this series. I'll close with this, Blake. I mean, you and I mainly talk uh, football on air, but we often wind up talking uh, other sports when we, when we see each other at the stadium or when you're here at the station. So I'll ask you this. April's a great month. Today's the last day. NHL playoffs, uh, NBA playoffs, Tiger won the Masters. Uh, the NCAA tournament ended at the start of the month. Uh, what has uh, really caught your interest here as a viewer?
3: Well, you know, I, I, I did watch the Masters. I thought the Masters was fantastic, and, and uh, I, uh, I I've been watching I've been watching the hockey. Um, I'm a, I'm a Boston Bruins fan. Have been my whole life, and so this is hurting me to see them lose. But because uh, um, I figured with everybody, all these top teams lose, and this was a, this is their chance again. So you know, it's it's still early, but uh, but the Stanley Cup playoffs at this point, until the, the CFL starts, is, is always the thing that I'm I'm watching.
2: All right. Well, sorry I kept you away from the end of the game, but, yes, the Bruins were, 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 not, were not able to tie it, so the Blue Jackets go up 2-1. Blake, always love having you on the show. We're going to be doing this uh, a lot more often during the season. Thanks, Thanks man. Reed. That is Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst here on 630 Chet. It is 749, so, yeah, I mentioned that score. Blue Jackets win 2-1. Sharks and Avalanche coming up at the top of the hour. Back after the break. <laughs> You're listening to
1: 630 Ched
2: Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. John Bowman, defensive lineman for the Montreal Alouettes on the tone of the labor talks over the last two days.
4: Well, they've been positive. Uh, I mean, we're, we're talking, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the that's the best thing we can do. I mean, it's it's the haves and the have nots. So and, and the haves never want to give and the have nots want everything. So we're just trying to meet in the middle and, and reach an agreement that's going to make everybody happy so we can get back out there and, and perform for a great fan base. and. One of the one of the things I want to point out, I want to say thank you to the to the fans who send out positive notes, positive emails, and uh, and directive to our committee, and and on on behalf of the PA, we want to thank you guys for sticking behind us. Bowman also asked, can a deal get done in time for camp? I'm in a position to, to say that I'm very hopeful, and that's our only, the only thing we're working on now is to get a deal done, like nothing else, and and that's not just for us, but for the owners, for the great fans across the provinces of Canada, we want to get this done so we can get back to what we do best.
2: All right, and we also went through some labor talks five years ago, Bowman explains how it's different
4: this year than 2014. The president took the last committee the last time when 14 under advisement and said, hey, we want to bring the players along with us to make sure they're a part of it, so he made sure he put players such as myself, active players, myself, Rimple, Solomon, and Roley put us on the committee so we can be a voice for the current members still playing and we can kind of filter out things to say to the players. I mean, as much as we want to tell everybody everything, as soon as we say something, uh, just Justin dunk has it on Twitter and and it hurts our bargaining stance. So we just want to we want to keep as much as we can in house. But also, relay a message to them to say, "Hey, things are—we got everybody's best interests at hand." And I appreciate uh, the, the 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 PA for putting me on the committee because it's a, a very important learning curve for me as I as I reach the end of my term in the CFL. All
2: right, that is uh, John Bowman, defensive lineman for the Montreal Alouettes. So, we'll obviously, we'll keep following that story. Hopefully, they get everything done here over the next two and a half weeks. Vic texting in into 63630 says, "Blake Dermott is the laser disc of the CFL." He was good in his day and still fun to play with now. <laughs> now there's your text of the night. There, right you go. there Michael says, hey, Reed, I have a Laserdisc player with the box set of the original three Star Wars movies. That warms my heart. Also would be worth some cash. Big time. And Robert texting in, who wrote in earlier about Wait Hoyt when he was talking about broadcasters who could tell stories. And uh, Wade Hoyt, again, pitched in the Major Leagues from 1918 to 1938 for various teams, long stint with the Yankees, went into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1969, born in 1899, passed away in 1984. Here is uh, what Robert has to say about uh, Wade Hoyt. In his later years, he was the play-by-play for the Cincinnati Reds, my hometown team. In those days, baseball was only on TV on the weekends, so as a little boy, I was glued to the radio most days. Anyway, one of the things that made Wade a legend was the fact that he was a star pitcher for the Yankees and was a teammate of Babe Ruth and all the Yankees greats of the 20s and 30s. So as a kid, we would welcome rain delays because it gave him an opening to recount tales from those days, many never before told. I remember one time he told stories continuously for three hours. Just imagine that. And then Robert adds, and good luck with the Laserdisc player LOL. That that
1: would be a tough amount of time to fill. Three hours? That's during a rain delay? That's insane. Like I just, well, you got to have the stories. I'm just trying to think back to last year when we had the the, the delay in the Eskimos' uh, bombers season opener and that stuff. How long that
2: was, and well, that was, those guys the guys that, were getting
1: tired towards the end of it. Well, so. they
2: were so hard up, they called me. For, yeah, for I a, remember that a segment. I guess in hockey we had. Did you work the outdoor game in Winnipeg? I did. Yeah. Where? where yep. Oh, we didn't realize the sun would be there at that time of day. Really? It's been there at that time of day on this date every year for eternity. (laughs) A delay by sun. That was a first. Uh, So, yeah. uh, Well, I mean, we had Rob and I here and we had Bob and Jack there. So we we bounced back and forth a little bit. But I guess that's the closest thing on a hockey broadcast that I've been a part of with a delay of that length. Anyway, appreciate all the texts tonight to six thirty, six thirty. Always fun. So the final, again, 2-1 Columbus over the Bruins. It was uh, Jenner and Duchesne for Columbus. DeBrus scoring for Boston, but the Blue Jackets win it. They lead the series 2-1. The Sharks and the Avalanche will start at 8 o'clock. We have the Blue Jays and the Angels coming up a bit later on tonight as well. Tomorrow. We have scheduled a couple guys from FC Edmonton to come in. Their uh, Canadian Premier League season starts on the weekend, and then they have their home opener next weekend, so it'll be good to catch up with them. I'm going to be live from Commonwealth Stadium for Inside Sports on Thursday to have some uh, special coverage of the CFL draft, and Kelly Rudy is scheduled to join us on Thursday as well. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio operator. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. Really appreciate you listening. Have a great evening.